everybody and welcome to podcast number 38. Today I have with me a Sony award-winning writer, international comedian, GQ magazine describe him as the best joke writer around, a quick-fire gag merchant described by List magazine as a punasaurus. He has performed all over the UK and internationally including military events. He's written for the likes of Viz, TV, Daily Mash, radio shows he is the one and only tony cowards welcome tony thank you so much for joining oh, us thank you very much thank you you've, you've made me sound really quite good there that's great <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely introduction yeah, thank you now you went to ilford county high and from there you went on and attained a bachelor of science in chemistry at salford university now, chemistry and comedy seem quite a long way apart. So how did you get from chemistry to comedy? Um, I don't know. To be honest, both, both of them, you're trying to get a reaction, aren't you? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, how did I get from? That's a very good question. It was quite a long, uh, circuitous route. I, I didn't get into comedy until I was 30, which is actually probably doesn't sound that old but it's, it seems to be quite old for comedians nowadays most comedians seem to get into it straight from school or even before um so yeah I studied chemistry um I got a degree but it wasn't a very good one um I then sort of didn't really know what I was going to do I sort of did various jobs for about well I did various jobs for yeah 10-15 years and when I got to 30 uh a friend of mine who was actually my boss at the time started running a comedy night in North London and I started going along just watching and I'd got it was sort of that was around the late 90s early 2000s when comedy was like became had become like a really big thing it was a little bit after the whole Newman and Medeal comedy is a new rock and roll so stand-up was like massive and was starting to be big on telly and so I just really got into watching it and then eventually um got invited or asked to take part in some sort of little silly sketches and things that they used to do at the comedy club I used to go to called the Comedian's Graveyard. And before I knew it, it kind of spiralled out of control and I was actually on stage doing stand-up, <laughs> which if you ask, even nowadays, if you ask some of the people that knew me when I was younger, if, if I would ever become a comedian, that probably would have been the last thing they would have thought because I was very shy, very reserved, tried to stay out of the limelight entirely um and now I, i've sort of i'm thrust out on the stage now which is weird it's quite odd <laughs> well that's it because a lot of people sort of say oh well i was in drama clubs and doing things from school and all the way in through university but it's good to know that people out there who've always thought actually i wouldn't mind doing comedy can just start at any age and just go and do it don't be afraid don't think yeah it's, it's a very egalitarian sort of um thing is like anyone from any background any age any uh yeah anyone can kind of give it a go really there's you don't obviously you don't need um anything particularly you just write some jokes and a microphone on you don't even need a mic microphone at most small venues you just need to get on and i was going to say you get on stage and half the time it's not even a stage it's just <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. in the corner of a room so that floor you don't space. need to spend lots of money on lots of equipment or yeah. Uh, costumes and all that sort of thing so as, a, as an art form it's quite a quite a cheap and easy one to get into it's not a cheap and easy one to get good at obviously but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah I, I, although I say I was shy and reserved I, on my mum's side of the family a lot of uh, my nan was a renowned sort of singer and she was a poet she did poetry she was a bit of a joke teller 
and there's kind of dancers and singers on my mum's side of the family. So I always think that it must have been my mum's side of the family genes that finally kind of won out. Won out. Went over. So. Yeah. And I saw you throughout lockdown. You've actually been um, part of the UK pan-off. Occasionally you've been on there, which has been a, a, a live Zoom type show where the audience have been able to join in. And that's yeah. just come to an end, unfortunately. And I love puns. Um you're known for your one-liners. You've got, I've been very grateful. Lucky we've seen Tim Vine, we've seen Milton Jones live, okay. and it's fantastic. But a lot of comedians that I talk to go, oh, puns aren't comedy. Um, they're funny, <laughs> but it's not comedy. So what would you say to that? Um, well, I'd say that's rubbish, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I do get, kind of get where they're coming from. I think um, sometimes... Um, amongst perhaps newer comedians and and sometimes uh and other people sometimes think that a pun on its own is funny um and puns are puns are clever but they're not necessarily a, a pun isn't necessarily a joke on its own a pun is a component of a joke um quite often i, I mean i do it as well sometimes you'll write a joke that that is lit I say joke, but it's literally just a play on words of the of the pun, and that, that doesn't necessarily make it actually funny. So I do, and bad, even as a pun person myself, a bad pun is just so can be so painful. It's just um, a good pun is brilliant, but a bad pun can just uh, be awful. So I, I can imagine if you're if you're not a fan of puns or you're subjected to bad puns all the time, you'd be quite averse to them. What I find is funny, though, is a lot of comedians who say that they don't really like puns. If you ever look at the listing for the Edinburgh Festival or or that, you'll see that most show titles, successful show titles, even by comedians that don't do puns or one-liners, the show title will often be a pun. There'll be a pun in the show title. So they're not adverse to using the puns um, as the titles of their shows. And one of your puns was actually the one, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival best joke of the festival few years back as well did um you, i don't I, I, did you I, not know that <laughs> i don't know if i what i what on the official list i don't think i've won the official one i've been featured on several of the newspapers that have done their list oh, news, oh right yes on the newspaper but, but yeah. yeah now that dave do the official list i don't think i've ever unless i'm mistaken but i don't think i've ever won that so really you what you could say is you're the public's favorite because you're in the yeah. tabloids <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which could be. Uh, I, I never wanted to be mainstream anyway. I'm, 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 I'm an underground hit. Underground hit. <laughs> Do you think puns could be making a comeback? I think, like all comedy, puns come and go and go. They sometimes they're in fashion, sometimes they're out of fashion. At the moment, I think maybe as a bit of an antidote to obviously the way the world's been for a while, a lot of silly joke, silliness, and daft sort of comedy, which I'd include puns in, I think is making a bit of a comeback because people. People just want to forget about the world a little bit. There's there's definitely a place for obviously satirical comedy and political comedy, but when everything looks so bad a lot of the time, I think some people just want a bit of escapism and obviously some Tim Vine or Milton Jones or Harry Hill kind of style daftness is a great antidote to that. Definitely, definitely. Now, how, so how do you come up with your jokes? Have you got to the stage where everything you actually see is a joke. You're walking along the street and you're almost thinking in joke form rather than being able to... Yeah, I, I do sometimes... Some people say it's a gift. I sometimes consider it an affliction because it is... Um, yeah, I, I, my brain is now tuned to 
to seeing things. For instance, I'll give you a quick, um, quick example. The, the other day I was cooking, uh, cooking the family meal, and I, I saw a ladle, or I was using a ladle, I think, and I saw the bread on the side. And in the, in, suddenly my brain decided to start singing uh, Lady in Red, but Ladle in Bread instead of... <laughs> so I was singing away to myself, Ladle in Bread. Um, and then I took a picture of the Ladle in the Bread and put it on Twitter, because that's obviously what you have to do. But ever since then, I, I now can't get that out of my head. And, um, and it started manifesting in other ways. Like I started referring to Chris de Berg as Chris Crisp de Burger, and it all started to become food puns on lady ladling bread um and it drives other people mad and i'll be honest with you it drives me mad as well it's just like <laughs> I, was, I was in the car and they were having an 80s day on in the car and then of course they played lady in red as one of the 80s hits and of course in my head it's just going ladle in bread you'll, you'll never be able to hear that song again so in the no, same I'll never be able to hear that song ever properly again um which is why i say it's an affliction so so yes i've just for some reason i have one of those brains that kind of just notices patterns um in words and sayings and spots because that's all it really is it's pattern recognition and spotting a word that can have a double meaning or a phrase that might be taken a different way and um, i mean one of the first things i ever remember kind of seeing as a bit of a pun and I'm not alone in this. I think every kid kind of does it. But whenever I used to see the the two let signs outside flats, and I always used to think it was saying toilet, of course, because you, you just put an I in the gap there instead of two let, it was toilet. And just spotting things like that. And I think that's that's kind of what it is. From an early age, I was looking for, for ways you could subvert words and phrases. And so I... Sometimes I can sit down and write jokes and I think about, I write a list of perhaps phrases or something and see if I can find any double meanings. But a lot of my jokes nowadays, I, they pop into my head when I'm doing something else. Like I say, when I was cooking or if I'm walking the dog, I just spot something. Or if someone says, someone will say something to you, sometimes they'll use a slightly strange, not a strange phrase, but maybe an archaic saying or a phrase or something. Or, or if it perhaps is a buzz phrase a buzzword that's going around at the moment and you suddenly think oh that could be taken in a different way that could be, have two meanings and then all of a sudden you've got the beginnings of a joke joke and and you've been all around the world as well and um, including performing for the military which is commendable um and yeah, did they're, you ever... in, they're always good gigs interesting gigs <laughs> they, did you ever go there and think you could die not in a comedic way but literally die um i've never performed for the troops in like a lot of comedians have gone over to obviously um, Afghanistan and Iraq and places that are really dangerous. I've, I've been to Colchester, which can get pretty feisty but, um, and, and, and Aldershot as well. Um, but no, I've never performed in any actually literally dangerous mm. places. Mine have always been in bases fairly long way from the front line and secure. Uh, that's not to say they've not been quite hairy occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they're always they're always good fun um and you never you, they, they can be interesting ones in that you're never quite sure what the audience is going to be like i did a gig one time um where we turned up for, to entertain this this army it was an engineer regiment and uh, thought nothing of it but when we got there we found out that over 50 percent of the um the audience were gurkhas who didn't who didn't actually understand a huge amount of english um so my wordplay was a <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my jokes obviously rely on quite an in-depth knowledge of English but they were great fun they were laughing at everything even though I'm not sure they fully understood everything 
I, th- I think it's infectious. If somebody starts laughing, yeah, you, you laugh anyway, don't you? You could just you, um, with the rhythm yeah, and everything. Now you also do a lot of writing. Um, so there's Daily Mash, but also birthday cards and Christmas cracker jokes. You are responsible for Christmas cracker jokes. Um, not very many. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to say before I get letters of complaint. But no, I have done. I have written Christmas cracker jokes. Um, I mean not so much pressure on a Christmas cracker joke but maybe a best man speech or a groom speech my word I've done those yeah they I'll be honest with you they are the ones I worry quite a lot about because you know if you write a bad Christmas cracker joke it gets read out and everyone probably groans or maybe just throws it straight in the bin (laughs) but if you write a bad load of jokes for someone's best man speech you you might have ruined the whole wedding (laughs) (laughs) and does the bride know that it's you that's actually making her laugh and not her husband um usually obviously when you're writing speeches no one knows about the speech right that's kind of the whole point so those um i don't know how widely known it is by people that um obviously awards you know when you see celebrities giving award ceremony speeches and, and best man speeches and those sort of, quite often they, they they have people that have written bits of it but it's kind of one of those kind of dark secrets of the industry I think so, uh, but I, I find that a bit of a double-edged sword sometimes it's a bit sad that you're not getting obviously a credit for the jokes but then like you say if it goes badly you're not getting the blame either <laughs> <laughs> it's funny really I think I think there's certain people isn't there that are, that are really take to writing a speech like for a best man I've, I've been best man a couple of times and obviously I've, although I found it absolutely terrifying it, I quite enjoyed it because it was because I was able to use my express my creativity and knowledge of the person I was best man for but for some people it's absolutely terrifying and they don't even know where to start so I always think when I when I I've saying I write best man speeches is actually not quite true because I get the people I work with when I do that they write the speech so all the personal information is from them and the stories and things. Um, but I just like edit it a little bit and put maybe some jokes in here and there or reorder it just so I, I basically treat it like I was writing a stand up sort of routine and, and try and just make it a bit punchier. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if you're not a stand up or you're not a comedy writer, you might tend to be a bit rambling with the story. And so I just pick the bits, that, the best bits, try and highlight the funniest bits that they've sent me. Yeah. So, like I say, so I don't this... really write them. I I kind of just basically edit them a little bit and punch them up a bit. Yeah. So you haven't got a book on the shelf speeches. <laughs> like, no, but... there, there are. It's funny because there are obviously books you can buy how to write a best man speech, and it's there are jokes that are that are in common knowledge and go around. And but I try to steer away from those because I've seen so many best man speeches where, um, you know, there's a classic joke about it being a quite an emotional occasion even the cake is in tears and like um and that joke must have been used a million times <laughs> and whilst it's still quite a good joke I try to steer clear of anything that because I think the danger is if someone go you know sometimes you have summers where you go to three four weddings in the summer and if every best man has done exactly the same joke you know, kind of like, <laughs> that's very true now I was listening to some of your jokes earlier and I'm guessing, um, was your father in the army? Was he, um, was he actually, because one of your jokes <laughs> is about being a, an army engineer. I don't know whether that was a joke. Yeah, this, but this is all was, where you find that it's all a, 
all a tissue of lies. It's a, like, oh. um, no, my dad wasn't in the army. Um, no, not at all. Um, yeah. It's so funny because I, I forget that people um, think jokes because um, you get obviously with observational comedy, a lot of it and people that do anecdotes and stories, a lot of it is from their own life. But with one liners, it tends to be a bit more just it's convenient because the wordplay works or the pun works. Um, so, I mean, certain jokes of mine are based on reality, um, but a lot of them aren't. But I forget that audiences take a lot of what we say on stage at face value. Mm -hmm. And um, you do have to be a bit careful sometimes, because if you if you make a joke that's just a silly joke about, uh, I don't know, uh, your uncle having an illness or your uncle or your granddad dying or whatever, people sometimes like oh I'm really sorry to hear that and it's like oh no my granddad's fine <laughs> so but so what brought your because I've been you do modeling you do army models and painting oh, them yeah this is what I've got into during lockdown this has yeah been my lockdown kind of so oh so that hasn't been something that's started when you were a child and come through with you um well it was something I did as a child yeah and as a teenager but it had laid laying dormant for about 30 years and then um, having a lot of time like everyone else on my hands during lockdown and, and basically going a bit crazy um, inside. It was something I kind of got into during lockdown, yeah, and I found it really quite therapeutic. But they're so intricate, they're fantastic. They are really creative, oh, you. you know, I, I they're definitely worth um, having a look at listeners on, he's got a whole page, whole Facebook page yeah, I love them, that. and they are they are really good. Um, kind of one of other people that kind of got me into it a little bit again, or reinvigorated my interest in it was um, Al Murray as well. I don't know if people know this, but Al Murray makes a lot of models of um, like tanks and planes and, and things, and he's he's very very good. So um, so yeah, it's clearly I don't know if it's a comedian thing or we're both. A, he's a little bit older than me, but it's kind of a slight male midlife crisis coupled with lockdown <laughs> <laughs> but they they've obviously taken a lot of time to actually to get them that way and that's um yeah i've, I've gone it's it's starting to borderline now of, of therapy bordering on obsession now I've, i might have to rein it back in a little bit i've become <laughs> <laughs> and i understand you found out recently that your grandfather used to make models as well so yeah maybe something in that i mean people may not be aware of what we're actually talking about but but it's little uh miniature sort of soldiers basically lead well they used to be made of lead they're not made of lead anymore because that's in case we lick them or whatever i don't think that'd be good um but um yeah little metal and little plastic figures and and i sort of make them and paint those but yeah uh, my dad um sort of saw that i'd been posting some pictures about him and he told me that my granddad on my dad's side who i never knew because unfortunately died before i was born but yeah, apparently he used to make them. He used to uh, cast them himself, get the lead, molten lead and the, the moulds and, and make them and then sell them uh, around about November time or whatever. So he'd have money for, for Christmas to, to buy the turkey and stuff. Makes my, my, my dad's family sound like they were Victor uh, like in the Dickens era or something, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so I didn't know about that, which was quite a lovely thing to find out. Now you're also... Um... You took a Festival of Football 1 and 2 to the Edinburgh Fringe and you also support Ipswich Football Club. So is football quite a big part of your life? Um, 
yeah it's always been a big thing it's I've, I've, it's weird but kind of lockdowns kind of muted my interest in football a little bit because because it's been a bit of a weird situation obviously with no crowds going to the football and stuff um but yeah I've, I've always loved loved football um Ipswich aren't very good now though <laughs> so <laughs> I, I hate to be that kind of fair weather fan but like we've got a bit rubbish so perhaps that's dampened my interest a little bit <laughs> but no, I've always, I've always loved football, yeah, from a very early age. And I was I was born in Ipswich and um, my dad encouraged me. My dad's a West Ham fan. A lot of my family are West Ham fans, but my dad encouraged me to support the local team. Um, so, yeah, he cursed me from an early age. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm from Plymouth, so it's Plymouth Argyle for me, I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Graham, is there anything that you'd like to ask? Um, like, no. Oh, no. sorry. Not this time. It's okay. It's um, not this one, I think, because it's really good. Okay. <laughs> I, what Tony's covered here has been fantastic. In my mind, it's fantastic. Okay, I'll carry on then. Um, yes, <laughs> so you also lead um, comedy and writing workshops for all ranges from 5 to 95 and all abilities. So alongside one-to-one sessions online for anyone looking to improve their stand-up, how can people actually get in touch with you? If someone's out there listening and going, I really need to work on my puns. I really want to work on a, a wedding speech. I need help. How could they get hold of you? Um, if, if they're on Twitter, look me up on there, uh, at Tony Cowards, and just um, find me a message on Twitter. Um, I was going to say, should I give out my email? I don't know if that's no. a good idea. Or not, but, like, <laughs> no, at Twitter is fine. Because you're, you're yeah. posting jokes pretty much all the time on Twitter anyway, aren't you? So, yeah, I try to get uh, yeah one or two out. Sort of, I, I used to post lots of every day. I've, I've slowed down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I try, I try to post on there. Sort of I'm sure day. if people started following you now, they could look back at there would be enough there to keep them occupied until you come yeah. up with another one. <laughs> If, if people just want to Google me, Tony Cowers, I'm sure they can find ways to contact me. It's www.tonycowards.co.uk. Yeah, you can look up my website. The one thing I would say is I've, I've had a load of emails recently saying that I haven't paid to renew the domain name. So if it goes offline soon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Elaine, cut that last bit out. <laughs> no, 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 they can still, still go on there. I think it's still working at the moment. I think the trouble is the company's got some old credit card details of me and I need to get it updated because they can't uh, make the payment. And that's yeah, why I never get Graham to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good, good to know that, like, peek behind the curtain, you know, it's not all... It's not all rock and roll. Sometimes it's just getting invoices from domain name companies. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, anyway, Tony, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. I really appreciate your time. Um, is there anything you want to promote while you're on here? Anywhere where people can, you're going next? Are you going um, gigs are starting to come back in. Um, but I can't, I can't really remember what my, what my first one is going to be. First back live gig. Um, but yeah, again, really just keep an eye on Twitter at Tony Cowards on Twitter. Um, I'll plug anything that's coming up. I do, I do various bits and pieces online as well. Uh, again, I'm terrible. I should be should have a list of these in front of me, shouldn't I? But I don't know what the next one is. Um, but yeah, just look me up on Twitter and I'll try and shout about what I'm up to. Uh, it'd be lovely. I can't wait until sort of a first live gig and get in front of an audience again. Yeah. It's so funny. We were so spoiled before all this. We used to complain if the, the audience was like 
not a great audience or, or a bit sparse or whatever. And, and now I'd literally be happy just to play a bus shelter with two men and a dog. <laughs> that's right. Any audience is a good audience now. Tony, yeah. that's been marvellous. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, listeners, for listening. Bye.